Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of all things The Last Symptom Related. I'm very glad you're here listening, and I know I say that often, but I mean it. I often tell people individually that I never take their support and trust for granted. So I want to tell you who are listening the same thing. I don't take for granted you thousands of folks listening wherever you are and for whatever reasons you might be tuning in. I've been getting some very nice, touching emails lately, folks reaching out to me, tell me a bit about their stories, and I thought that maybe you'd like to hear me share some of these while keeping people's identities private, of course. So this shout-out goes to somebody that we'll just call F. Out in the remote Australian bush, she probably just run her ambulance off the road hearing me say that. She's listening to this show while driving around as a solo paramedic. F says the following. I've been meaning to send you an email for some time. Uh, you see, I, I just butcher the Australian accent, but you know, there's there could be nothing more beautiful than the real thing. So I wish you were here to read this for us all, but you're just going to have to tolerate me doing it for her. She says, I've been meaning to send you an email for some time to thank you for your work and your amazing podcast. I found it almost a year ago when I first started listening to podcasts, and I did a search for any on borderline personality disorder. I started working in a job as a solo paramedic in a very remote part of Australia, far from where I live. There's a lot of driving involved and I'm by myself for the majority of the time. When I found your podcast, I went right back to your very first one, and I've been listening to them in my ambulance in succession since then. I very quickly became fascinated by your insights and what you have to say. I'm still a few months behind. I've just heard the story about Chinese Roger. Oh my goodness. That was the funniest thing ever, and the way you told it was just hilarious. By the way, F, I had totally forgotten that I had told everybody that story, so I went back to, to re-listen to that, and yeah, that is, a, that is a funny story. F goes on to offer me some compliments, which I'm very grateful for, but I'll keep those to myself. Then F says, 
You have kept me company and provided me with entertainment and education as I drive through the remote Australian bush listening to your podcast. Thank you so much, Brian, and I hope I get to meet you one day. Well, F, the feeling is mutual. Please stay safe out there, and thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting The Last Symptom and all my work. Clearly, my terrible, lousy Australian accent hasn't scared you off, so that's a really good thing. You know I do it affectionately and jokingly. I I hope everybody understands that. F, while you're driving around out there listening, I figured I'd give you a little campfire story to entertain you since you like the Chinese Roger story so much. Before we get into today's main conversation, today's main conversation is special for me, by the way, because you'll be hearing an interview with somebody I'm very fond of who I've seen make tremendous progress and work so hard in just a year. But before we bring her in and before I tell the campfire story of the week, let me mention thelastsymptom.com for all you good folks out there who are looking for free, accurate, comprehensive, solid insights about borderline personality disorder and emotional unhealth. And by the way, it's not just directed to people dealing with these things themselves, but also to those who care about somebody who uh, is looking for information about these things. Anybody who's ever been affected by emotional unhealth, emotional disorder. Um, My work is geared toward you as well. And in fact, in the coming weeks, my attention is going to turn to you folks specifically in a big way. TheLastSymptom.com is the center of all my work. In addition to the free resources I offer there, remember at TheLastSymptom.com, I also offer some paid services as well as the ability to financially support my work right there at thelastsymptom.com. Of course, these things go a long, long way in allowing me to do this work at all. Don't forget that the opportunity exists at thelastsymptom.com to sponsor phone calls with me for other people who are under financial hardship, and I do indeed apply those sponsorships to people who I feel can most use them and who will most appreciate them. I haven't been mentioning that feature of the site lately, Um, but I just want you to be aware you can sponsor phone calls for other people. Now, tonight's campfire story. To really set the mood, we need some sound effects, don't you think? An actual fire, maybe, and some other sounds of the deep forest. There we go. All right. Now, you may remember me telling you that I have a gnarly, ugly big toe on one of my feet. (laughs) This is as a result of an ingrown toenail I had when I was a young boy. And the surgeons botched their work when they were, quote, unquote, fixing it. In the past, I've mentioned my toe as a way to illustrate the way we naturally act with things we feel shame about. So, it's not a perfect illustration, but but really, I don't usually go around showing off my ugly big toe 
at the beach around all those girls in bikinis if I can find a closed-toe sandal and spare everybody the horror. Well, I was just telling somebody the other day that my daughter's imagination is so vivid (laughs) that a year ago I had her talking to my big ugly toe like it was her best friend in the whole world. I was giving the toe a voice and everything. Hello, hola, Louise. And having it talk to her. And it was like her, I'm telling you, like her best friend in the world. She, She even felt sorry for the toe because it sort of mangled from that surgery I had when I was younger. So I had the toe tell her its name. Hola, Luis. Mi nombre es Quasimodo. ¿Cómo estás? And uh, so Quasimodo, the ugly toe, was explaining to her how nobody wants to be friends with him because he's so ugly. I laugh so hard every time I remember this. You, you had to be there. She was so wrapped up in her imagination, and I had her feeling so sorry for this freaky toe <laughs> that she was trying no kidding, to pet my toe and give it hugs. And I kept trying to pull my foot away, saying, no, honey, don't do that. That's filthy. <laughs> and she kept talking to it like it was her best friend in the whole world, looking at the looking at the toe, mind you. Not looking at me, looking at the toe. She forgot that I was even there. <laughs> I don't think I've ever laughed so hard. She was totally caught up in the imagination of it. She'd completely forgotten that it's just my toe (laughs) on my smelly foot. (laughs) It was like she truly, completely forgot that the toe was attached to my leg and that her dad is the one talking, not the toe. You know, it reminds me of Kermit the Frog. Who doesn't love Kermit? And, And isn't it true when you see him on interviews or whatever? You you completely buy into the fact that he's a real person, a real frog. And uh, you completely forget, right, most of the time, that somebody's actually standing back behind that sofa or whatever with their hand up inside a Kermit, making Kermit into Kermit. Well, the other day, I was changing my socks and uh, my daughter, Eloise, caught a glimpse of this toe after not seeing it for about a year and she said oh daddy what's wrong with your toe (laughs) so she apparently (laughs) she apparently doesn't remember her good old pal quasimodo the toe and all the good times they they had together once upon a time all right well enough with the stories for this week i'll have more to tell next week i'm I'm sure of it. For today's episode, I have a very special guest. Her name is Shamala, and she lives in the UK. I'm excited for you to get to hear her story. She's somebody I'm very fond of, and I'm very proud of. So, without further ado, let's bring her in here and listen to some of the things Shamala has to say. There. Do you see that... I've started recording on Skype. Yes, I see it. Okay, great. How do I sound? Do you, do I sound all right to you? You do. You sound perfect, Brian. 
All right. You sound perfect. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous, but yes. Well, you know, only, what, 206,000 people are going to be hearing this, so really, what's there to be nervous about? <laughs> All right, now, so let's get into it. How are you tonight? I'm, I'm doing great, Brian. Great. Would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? I'm Shamala. I'm, I suffer with borderline personality disorder. I'm 53, British, a mother of three, all adult children. Basically, I've lived with emotionally unhealthy thinking throughout my whole entire life. And it's caused me and basically everybody around me just pain and suffering. And there's a couple of reasons that I've, I wanted to come on and, and talk to you guys. The first one, I think it's, it's a natural progression in terms of my recovery with you, Brian. We've been speaking now for nearly a year. I think because I trust you so much and I've learned so much and I've started to now apply that learning to me to real life situations. It seems like it is natural progression to be to, to come on here and actually talk. And the other thing is really, I want to share my experiences with the other people in the hope that maybe my real time epiphanies, insights, maybe general life experiences, maybe can resonate and help other people with their recovery, but especially the members of the group. So we all share such kind of intimacy in our posts and reveal our vulnerabilities and our pain. And I, I kind of really care about them. And we're all learning with you, Brian. And we're kind of like a family. So any epiphanies can help somebody leap a couple of weeks even, because I know I've recently got myself stuck for kind of like a month, which was wasted time. And so those are my reasons. Well, let me say this. Among the people I talk to, I would grade them, I reckon in my imagination, at different levels of effort, different levels of focus, different levels of sincerity, different levels of headway they've made in their recovery. So I've got, I kind of categorize people that I talk to and deal with into these different levels of uh, intensity and whatever. And you're right up there in the top group. Rarely do I see people take recovery as seriously and work as hard as you have as quickly as you have in, in the span of about a year. I remember at that time, I was very, very, very entangled. Um, my recovery, although I, like I say, I'm 53 years old, it was only when I discovered your podcasts and I thought to myself, really, what the fuck? Who's this guy? How does he know what I'm thinking? No way. This, this is kind of crazy. And I stayed up. And I just listened to all of the podcasts. I just went through. I think within two days, I'd got to the first 24. And then I got to 37. And I thought, fucking hell. Everything else had to go at that point. Everything else had to go at that point. And I thought, bullshit. It's all going. And it was your, your kind of words. And it is, isn't it? This is, and I can... 
I can stand up and say, although I'm not recovered, but I'm I'm so much further on, and I'm going to be able to hopefully explain some of my recovery shortly. But I'm so much further on, based on your ingredients. What is it? The sincere approach, the accurate, accurate, accurate information, and the insight. Uh-huh. The magic ingredients. Oh my God! But getting rid of all that inaccurate information, because for saying I'm 53 years old, I'm taking in more and more of it. So I've got so much of it in there. But where I am now, I have actually got to. In terms of when you when you explained about the the, the wart in your hand, oh, see. Actually, I'm. I've been digging around, and it's been so painful. It's been. It has been really painful. I'm not going to lie about it. But I've found the root, and everything traces back now to that inherent. My feelings are inherently shameful, devoid uh-huh. of words. So am I myself. And with that, with the knowledge of that, even though I'm still struggling with acceptance of cert- of of actually reality. But having the knowledge of that, it, it kind of makes makes sense. My disorder is starting to make some sense to me. Mm-hmm. Why I, I've been behaving in certain ways. Let me uh, explain this wart illustration to people who may not have heard that. A while back, and I had forgotten entirely, I, I'd completely forgotten that I used that as an illustration once, but I got a wart on my finger and... I took a pocket knife out. I've always carried a pocket knife, and I took my pocket knife out, and I cut it off. Uh, but I just cut it off level with my my finger, and um, the work kept coming back. I kept cutting it off. kept It kept coming back, and so I said, "Well, I'm not playing around this time. This time I'm going to get down. To, I'm going to find out what's causing this." <laughs> and uh, so I dug down into this work with my blade, my knife blade. Until the pain, I just couldn't barely take it. But when I got down so deep, I found a seed, like a little calcium deposit or something. And um, I plopped that out of there. Once I got that seed out of there, the warts never come back. And so the way that I use that in an illustration that uh, Shamal is talking about is that, you know, the emotional disorders that many people are dealing with is that way you can until you get down to the root causes of what is causing all of your symptoms you know uh, you don't want to confuse your symptoms or the you don't want to confuse what is problematic with the actual problem so you don't want to confuse symptoms as being the actual problem you want to find out where those symptoms are coming from and to do that you got to get down to the very root the seed like shamal is talking about and uh, fix that once you do, then the rest takes care of itself. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'd forgotten entirely that I used that illustration. I honestly, Brian, the amount of times I listen to your your podcast, because if I've got a question, I think, because it's like a library now. If I go searching for, for something in the podcast, I can find something new every time, but I can find that accurate information, the information that I need, the information that I need to stay focused, 
if I stay on that road, that's why I, I don't listen. I can't listen to anybody else. Well, I would like you to talk to, because I remember you one way when we first started talking, and you've come so far. You're, I do think of you as a different person now because you've, you've changed a lot. We, do you remember how you were when we started talking? And can you kind of help people understand the, the, the advancement that you've made in the, since that time? At the beginning, I was still in tailspin. I was still at the moment where I am in terms of how I've dug down into the, into the ward, to that feed, what I can now reveal in terms of my own thinking process. And if I, maybe I can, I don't know, maybe this is a good time to introduce anybody to my insights into my, where I was plunged into. Yes, please. Resulting from my feelings being inherently shameful, devoid of worth. I can see now I was plunged into, because I felt empty invisible and growing this this was just this was all down to the feelings being neglected mm -hmm. and I can see my thought process instead of seeing in terms of what is real is real I was thrown into my life then became maybe like a hall of distorted mirrors this is where I lived because I was invisible I didn't think that I was a real person, but I was a child. I didn't understand anything. I only came to life in terms of the reflection that I was able to see in this hall of mirrors. But in this hall of mirrors, not only did I have um, distorted mirrors to look at and to make my own sense of it all, I was also given a magnifying glass and I, whether I developed this myself or I was taught to do it, but I examined every part of the reflection in this distorted lens, hatefully, in terms of how I viewed myself because I wasn't a person. Everything is distorted and I would bend and twist and look to find maybe the right reality or the view I thought it should be. Everything's mm -hmm. always been that distorted. This is how I can see it now. Now I'm unraveling because I didn't know this. One of my earliest memories, and I was probably about three or four, we were, me and my brother and sister are with, I'm the youngest. Um, there's three years between the lot of us. And we were jumping on the bed um, upstairs like trampoline as children do. And I remember my dad came in smacked us, um, told us my mum was dying and it was our fault. Mm. And then my mum went into a asylum for, well, they called it, I don't know what, mental hospital, for, I don't know how long it was, but it was probably a few months where she had like a radio electrotherapy for depression and things like that. So I can see now that obviously before that time, she wasn't looking after us emotionally um, for her to be suddenly gone. 
and I think from those kind of things, it's I've been empty ever since that. But then other things um, confirmed it to me in terms of there was maybe some sexual abuse. That confirmed, that was some more shame, stuff to hide yet mm-hmm. again. And having that time being alone with myself, being in that hall of mirrors, the imagination of horrible things became um, kind of stronger. And then every horrible thing that happened afterwards. For example, I'm mixed race. And also I was born in the 60s. So it was kind of the first um, first generation of mixed marriages and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But because we were mixed race and they called us half caste then. I don't think you're allowed to say it anymore. And I hope um, any politically correct people don't get offended by that. But they used to call you that half caste and half breed. Mm-hmm. And um, you weren't allowed to play with the white children. And we had to live in an area where it was the West Indian Caribbean people because they were kind of classed as not as good as the white people. But my dad was Indian and my mum was white. So we kind of, there was, it was just, we were the only kind of like whitish people. Mm-hmm. But when, and so people didn't want to play with me at that time. We used to call us a packy or things like that. And then I can look at it now after digging around in that in your wart, well, my wart. <laughs> and I can see that what I've also done in the thinking is, if I'm going to explain it again in maybe an, an analogy, perhaps, is sure. a, a magnet. And I noticed this um, yesterday when I was doing some magnet fishing with my granddaughter. And I thought, that's what exactly what you do. Even when I'm not thinking, you know, in your subconscious, um, when you're not aware that you're constantly alive because you're constantly switched on anyway. Right. Anything negative, I've set myself to attract. But anything positive, I've set my magnet to repel. So even any nice things that did happen in my life when I was younger... When I'm thinking back, um, I didn't, probably because I didn't feel that I deserved them. I didn't appreciate them. And I didn't hold on to them. And I was fri- I was frightened of them. Nice things. But the sure. negative things... Um, they, those felt comfortable, didn't they? I don't, I've almost, I, I can have a, I've got a bank when I look at it, of negative experiences or things that have made me feel bad. But when I say made me feel bad, I'm not talking in saying that I don't know the difference between um, thinking and feeling. In uh-huh. that I'm mm-hmm. so emotionally immature that I've never been taught how to actually deal with what is a feeling mm-hmm. um, from my parents or I looked after myself, really, just being in my room, maybe reading fairy tales and just making sense of of the world. And I think even up until now, Brian, I've still got this kind of thought because I thought when I left home when I was 16, to be normal was I needed to find somebody to marry and have a family and then I would start again. 
that would be a new life. Right. Everything else would be gone. And then right. um, if things get too much in a relationship or in a job, maybe I'll run away because I want to start again. Yeah, I can identify with that a lot. When I was in my early 20s, I had um, depression. I've lived with depression. I've constantly been depressed because I talk bad to myself. I think bad. I've listened to myself. I've spent the last um, two months in isolation um, by myself. Tell us the particulars about you being stuck by yourself right now. Yeah. It wasn't intended. Um, my husband got stuck in the Dominican Republic due to the COVID. And I'm obviously, I'm over here. But then I thought to myself, I was annoyed at first about it because things weren't going my way. But now I'm looking at it, I'm trying to control. I, it's the um, those circles in the sand kind of thing. But then I decided, right, okay, I'm never going to get this time. I thought it was only going to be three weeks. I'm never <laughs> I get think this we all did. And I was hopeful because I was in denial. I didn't want, I knew it was going to be longer because I was looking at Italy, but mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be true, <laughs> which I, I, I recognize that now. But I thought, right, okay, this is your chance to actually deal with, get to know yourself and get to know that critical um, voice within you. And well, I didn't expect to, to get to know it as, as kind of much, but there was only me in the house for all, the, all this time. And my thoughts, I was aware so much of my thoughts because, and there was nobody that I could blame for um, winding me up, getting on my nerves, Mm. Um, causing me to think about something and I, start, I started to um, get really, really, really analyse myself and watch everything about myself but I was watching everything about myself with um, shame um, you spoke to me about it and it being the red flag but I was ignoring it because um, I think I, I frightened myself when I started seeing reality and hearing myself and seeing the pattern of my my thinking starting to unfold and I wanted to deny it I think everything in me wanted to because it was new and it was scary and I didn't like it mm -hmm. um, and I felt I was like a child and actually the other day I was feeling disappointed I can say it's disappointed now I didn't know I was disappointed at the time. It just I just thought it I felt bad because mm -hmm. it was just an unpleasant it was something I didn't want to feel. But to me then because it was something like that, it was bad, it was bad. Ah, I feel bad. I found myself um saying it was right, pull yourself together, you're acting like a child to myself. Sort yourself out, come on. And I said, All right then to myself and I went upstairs like a child. Because I was going to, I'm in the house by myself, but I was going to be private in my bedroom to experience a feeling. <laughs> this is how I kind of approached it. Um, I just tapped the door, right, okay, just relax, all right, okay. What does it feel like? I don't know, because I was so tense 
about it, but I know it wasn't bad. It was a natural reaction to the fact that my husband um, was unable to get back to England mm-hmm. when I'd I'd wanted him to come back. I'd um, arranged the the flights, the connections, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, this was going to happen because I decided it was. Um, not really taking into consideration the fact that this is a pandemic. Not really <laughs> taking into consideration um, his ability at the moment in travelling across the country, which is quite distant. Not taking into consideration there's obviously this pandemic pandemic, and you've got the quarantines in the various countries that you're going to have to transit and there's long kind of layovers so it was really it was really unrealistic but i'd had the idea in my head this was what was going to happen and it therefore was and when it didn't it really put a hair in your biscuit put a hair in my biscuit (laughs) i'm fucking pissed at first i was pissed you don't even know i was so angry i blamed my husband i blamed him and I considered some really, really, really far out things. Knowing that my husband's trying to get back, he hates it over there, he's desperate to come home, but I then considered, right, you did this on purpose, not getting to the airport. You blah, 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 and I traced it all back because my feelings are worth um, inherently shameful, devoid of worth, and therefore so am I myself, and that's why you're treating me like this. Knowing full and well in terms of the reality of the situation, in terms of I know this person, mm-hmm. he wouldn't ever do something like that. Why would he do something like that? Why would he plan and scheme just to piss my shit off? Yeah. Just to piss my shit off. He would do all of these things. And I, that's when I said, right, you're fucking unraveling yourself, aren't you now? I bet the episode about cognitive dissonance was helpful for you wasn't it it definitely was it definitely definitely was because that's what it is you know that's the people that take in new information that indicates the exact opposite of what they believe but they come up with explanations for why that new information is is irrelevant or doesn't matter or doesn't change the the reality that they they believe in, even though it does, the, the new information does point to a different truth than what they, than they want to believe. But it's in the same way that you've spoken about language as well and translation, because, as you know, my husband's um, Dominican, so he speaks Spanish and my Spanish is patchy at best. And mm-hmm. his English is kind of non-existent, but I've known him for a very long time and we've been a lot of, we know one another. I know what he's saying to me, but my filter can translate it word for word and make it horrible. Even right. though I know what he means because right. my filter has said that I'm devoid of worth. And he must feel that about me as well. But I know that he doesn't. He doesn't, well, he doesn't treat me like that. But then I know that it was me, it's me that's distorting the reality 
um, we experienced it the other day because I said to you when you you didn't phone me at that time because obviously things happen and I did say it did cross my mind but of all people again I could look at that and say well hang on a minute Shamala let's be real now we're looking at Brian you know Brian would Brian say I'm not ringing Shamala because she's a fucking um, piece of shit no it's your thinking Shamala when we first started talking, you know, this was something that you were really dealing with, but then you went through a long period. Uh, well, we, you went through a long period where the the message of shame was not getting much purchase over you because every time it would come up, you'd recognize it pretty quick and beat it back, right? You'd reject it. But it, it started, but so then you went through this really great several months and then now in these circumstances, you've you've been kind of struggling with it again. Is that right? Yeah, I think um, I did recognize what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was denying the truth because I had started, like I'm saying, um, my thinking and my thought patterns had started to, to unravel. And I was wrong. Things oh. I believed that I'm right about, it's not the case. And my mind has had the, it's either right or it's wrong. And if it's wrong, there's fault and blame attached. So do you think it's because of the stress of the, of the situation that we're all finding ourselves in right now? I think that didn't help. I think I was comfortable in what I knew. I didn't want to face the reality a little bit more, but it was probably about a month that I found myself stuck on that kind of stuck record with me keeps... And I, I heard myself saying, I feel bad, I feel bad, just repeating in my mind, I feel bad, I feel bad. And I thought, well, what do you feel? Have you got a headache? Have you... Whatever, whatever. And I, I realised, I don't know what I'm feeling, I'm just repeating... I feel bad, I feel bad, I feel bad, I feel bad. Because I ref- I knew that I was refusing to to accept reality and look at it. I actually felt I actually felt ashamed of myself and turned my shame to me because I knew that I need to look at this. And then I I decided then that everything that I'd actually done in the way that I distort things and the way that I have explained I'd created that, so it was my fault. Mm. And I, had, I, I refused, I, I couldn't get past the shame. And the red flag of it, and I knew I felt bad, and I knew I felt bad, and I knew I felt bad about myself. But I just preferred to wallow, if that makes any sense, because I was, it was familiar. I knew I was going to be facing something. And I didn't. I was scared and I just didn't want to do it because I know in, in myself sometimes a lot of the times when I'm absent with people, if I'm having a conversation or if I'm having a good time with you and I get the urge, I need to go home. I need to go home to feel bad about myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that person who 
walks around next to you. You know that you've explained it in terms of the annoying office um, colleague. <laughs> right. The way I explain, I can explain mine, is um, she walks with me, and in terms of any memories or anything that happens, she's got an iPad and um, shows me what I did or has a photograph to say, yes, well, don't forget you fuck that up or whatever, always got the video Mm -hmm. to kind of... um, Push your nose in it. Yeah, because I was the witness there, you know. And um, I don't know, but I was maybe felt guilty for not listening to that, that voice. I don't know. It was just maybe just because I got myself so raveled up and so scared that I didn't want to face it. I knew that things were wrong in the distorted core beliefs, and you've explained that. But when I got to as deep as I'd got, I didn't know that it would be that there was so much of my thinking that is wrong. I've started to accept it now, and it's allowing, it's unraveling the same patterns that have happened throughout my life mm-hmm. all because of that core belief yeah you know the thing that sets you apart from so many people is your willingness Shamala is your willingness to go there even when it's uncomfortable to go there when you're so certain about yourself to go in and make sure that you're not fooling yourself anyway um, you know, a lot of people, they're just not willing to do this. This is where the sincerity thing comes in. Sincerity and approach, I call it. As I've told you in the group before, my initially my my main reason to, to rid myself of this borderline personality disorder is for my, my grandchildren. It's for me, but it is for my grandchildren because I can't pass, I will not pass on anymore because I actually... That might this might be something for maybe another podcast or, or something because I'm sure Brian that there's lots of well I was hoping to get into that today because that was actually going to be my next question I was wondering if you'd tell folks why you started talking to me at the beginning the relationship you had with your daughters at that time and how that's improved quickly five years ago my eldest daughter who was 30 at the time told me that she would have nothing to do with me and she was cutting me out of her life and she told me that I'd always made her feel like a piece of shit and invalidated her feelings and if ever she had children she would never let me have anything to do with them that's I didn't know what that I'd always heard things from myself, but then my daughter saying this, and I think the realization what I'd done to for her to be feeling exactly what I feel and worse that I'd done this. Mm-hmm. This was I. This I did this, and now I'm losing you. You want nothing to do with me, and you're you've not even had any children. You're going to have children, and you know in advance that you want nothing to do with me. For me to tarnish your children, and um, I didn't know what to do. This is when I started actually looking for for help. Um, I didn't get anywhere 
going to have, I found you. I faked it, tried to do what people expected and tried to think how people um, wanted. Once I started talking to you, my daughter had already had a baby. The baby was one year old at, at that time. Now, she'd allowed me to visit her and see the baby, but obviously super, supervised. But I continued going to have that relationship. But she had let me know that she would never trust me alone. Not thinking that I would do anything um, physical, but my attitudes sure. to, the- um, to feelings. And she was going to protect her child. It was when I started really getting into what you were actually saying and understanding from your point of your your teachings, the gravity really, because I'd never really accepted what I'd done. I accepted I'd been bad, but I've always thought of myself as bad. So it's not really a big deal. I don't need to do anything about that. Yeah, I'm bad. I've done this. I'm a terrible person. Um, what are you going to do about it? I need to do something about it this time because there's going to be a new, there's a new life. And you can't fuck up, you can't fuck up, but you've got, I need to be with them. I need to, but yeah. But anyway, we now, we can have conversations. She still doesn't, the baby's two and a half. She still doesn't trust me to to look after the baby by my by myself she wouldn't do that but we actually me and my daughter we actually talk about feelings the baby's feelings whereas i'd never because i'd never thought i'd got feelings i didn't know my children had got feelings i didn't have any understanding of feelings and it's only now at this age I'm actually understanding feelings through my granddaughter's learning. And this might sound, actually, this will sound very strange, but my daughter has actually become not the parent to me, but the the guide of how, mm-hmm. how to recognize and um, treat those feelings. Well, that takes some humility as her mother, to uh, be willing to be, to learn something from somebody that, you know, that in a way is your, is an inferior version of you because, you know, you've been there first, you've got more life experience, but you're willing to, uh, to be taught by her in certain ways. That, that takes some real humility. And she does sound very insightful, your daughter. She went for therapy. And she met a um, a guy from an emotionally healthy family. Now they'd all been they'd been shielded from these kind of things because I was a single parent um, in their early years, and the only person that they were exposed to was me. Um, and my attitudes. I always knew things was wrong and I didn't want any secrets to come out either. Um, I was always afraid of mental health. And I think because of the stigma then and because of what had happened to to my mother, 
I right. never told anybody. I, I wasn't going to tell anybody. Oh, yeah, sure. How I actually thought. And even when I did get depressed and we had all this um, where they wanted to talk to you, I wasn't going to tell them anything. And then when I did finally say, well, yeah, I had been sexually abused, they, they blamed everything that had gone wrong in my life down to the um, sexual abuse. My, my granddaughter, um, she was upset the other day that she wanted to tell me about it because she'd put some, some food out for the, the birds in the garden and she was looking out the window and she wanted these um, birds to come. But then the naughty cat from the neighbours came and was eating the snacks. So Isabel was shouting at the cats, get away. They're not your snacks, they're for the birds. And so she was. She rang me to tell me that she wasn't happy about this. And I thought as well, I remembered um, when my daughters were younger, if they'd have been upset, I, I would have distorted that and written that part out of it and told them it was di a different story to kind of quieten them down or make it the way it should have been because it should have been um, a happy ending. Uh-huh. But that, again, is the start yeah. of distorting and teaching them to ignore their feelings and then you're entering them into that world of distorted thinking. I'm very watchful and alert of how I, I behave. But my daughter also did... Um, admonish me if you like mm -hmm. um to say that i need i need to be stern with um with my granddaughter as well but she's because she's noticed that due to the history i'm afraid to say no oh, maybe mm -hmm. to granddaughter and that is also a form of of abuse um because I've still, if I'm with her, I've still got a responsibility for her safety. Um, yes. For her learning those basic things. Um, maybe if you go too close to that radiator, I should have, you know? Yeah. Yeah, There, there, there's a time to be stern. You know, it reminds me of that uh, scripture in Ecclesiastes <laughs> where there's a time for everything under the sun. You know, it's... Uh, there's a time to be stern and talk with a stern voice, and then there is a time to to let things go and to uh, and to speak only with a kind kindly voice. But yeah, there, there's a definite balance to be found there. Sorry, with my daughter, um, it's a testament that she's recognised and recognises that my thinking is changing. My thinking is changing because she wouldn't be encouraging me to um, say no if I was still saying no in the way that I used to say no. Aha, uh -huh, yeah, you know, you, you are dead on right there. Um, you're absolutely right, and that's insightful. If, if she was not recognizing your progress... She would not, the, the last thing she would do is say, hey, you've got to be more stern. Last year, in De it was in December, 
um, this didn't come from anything, but she did ask me. She said to me, um, because I go, I do one activity. I take, I go swimming with them once a week. I don't go in the water. Um, I kind of observe and then I dry her, the baby off, and then we go for lunch and something like that. And then on a Monday evening, I, I was invited to um, do the bath routine and story time. And I've been doing that for the last year. And in December, she asked me, she said, do you think that you're ready to babysit if we go out? And I said, oh, are you sure? Really? And I was so, I was scared again, because the whole idea of me being given that responsibility, because I don't take this responsibility lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gave me two dates. And on the first date, the father and the husband was poorly, so they weren't going to go. And she did say to me, she said, look, Mom, um, I really, I don't want to upset you or anything, but I don't want you to do it. I'm not ready. And I don't want you to babysit. I'm just not ready for it. And I said, I, I understand. I really, really, really understand. I do. But it, it hurt my feelings. Sure, sure it did. But I've I've come I've come closer then that she even thought about it. Yes. Where five years before she, when she planned to have a baby, she had told me that that would never ever ever happen. Yeah. But now she thought about it, and um, I went to the house yesterday because it was my daughter's thirty um, fifth birthday. And they invited me to have like like a bar- barbecue thing. They always welcome me. The husband is always very pleasant, and they don't judge me, and they don't throw things in my face. Or they're very emotionally healthy people, Brian. They don't. Um, whereas you know, a borderline personality disorder filter assumes that everybody's going to hold that against you, and right be hateful towards you but they don't do that they've all she ever wanted she didn't hate me when she said all those things and she wanted me to do something to, to fix me because yeah. she wants she wants a relationship with me she wants me to be her mother but this is where I kind of struggle in terms of my um, forgiveness of myself, that shame. I hold the shame more of what I've done, my actions, what I've done to the children. But I think, I'm not sure, I'm hoping, because I've only just... In, you know how you've always said that it's your own tapestry and you make... You, you pull your own bits together and then everything comes together for, for you at a different time. Maybe because I've started to realize and actually see the whole thing that is just snowballed and I can really and truly actually see now that is why not to say it's because of you it's not saying it's because of you I can say it's because of your core distorted belief that is why you've made those decisions. And I can see that now and I can see and I know where it came from. 
I know where it came from. It came from from home. And then, like you've always said, everything else, I've I've kind of grabbed onto that. And I have. I've got a I've got a bank. I've got a bank of negativity. A bank. Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good word for it. I know exactly. It paints the perfect picture. Yeah, you're right. You got a bank of uh, memories and uh, bad things you've done and things you feel terrible about and things that uh, make you feel terrible about yourself that you can just you can always pull from. Right. You can always reach in there and pull something out. I would like maybe to close. If there's any last thing you'd like to say that you didn't get to say that I didn't ask you. Or another option is if you would like to tell the listeners any advice that you have about their own recovery. Maybe I can close with um, another, just a quick analogy of another thing that I actually have thought about in terms of me stopping myself and preventing myself from trying something different in terms of uh, driving driving a stick shift or a mm-hmm. manual as we say whereas in terms of perspective I'm looking at this if I drive um, right hand drive you I'm assuming are left hand drive mm-hmm. I would refuse to drive your vehicle in your country being afraid of a different perspective because I'd be using the different hand to change gears. Right. I'd be driving on the wrong side of the road, etc. But like recovery and actually seeing things through a different perspective, I'm sure that once I actually start, like if I started driving in your country, I'm sure it'd start coming naturally quite quickly. Yeah, that's a beautiful analogy because, for one, I can identify with that because when I went to Scotland... I rented a car um, for the whole time I was there in Scotland, and it was a stick shift. I've always driven stick shifts. Now, my, the truck I drive right now is a stick shift. And when I drive, it's I'm steering with my left hand, and I'm shifting with my right hand. And when I got to Scotland, I was not only driving with my right hand and shifting with my left hand, but I'm driving now on the opposite side of the road that I'm used to, too. It was like... It was like riding a unicycle and juggling at the same time. <laughs> you know, all these things I had to be conscious of. But you're right. You're absolutely right. After about three days of this, it was like old hat. It, I didn't have to think about it at all. And that is how I'm seeing um, my refusal to do it because of my fear. But knowing, because I'm so close, um, knowing that, once I actually accept it, let go, and really see things as they actually are, again, with driving, things are going to happen, aren't they? There are other factors at play. There are other cars that are going to be coming. There are other drivers. Um, You're absolutely right. Man, that's a beautiful, that is a beautiful analogy because oh, it just works in so many ways. You're right. They're, you've got no control over the other drivers on the road. They might do anything. You never know what they're going to do. Uh, the only thing you can really control is what, how you drive, not how they drive. That's right. But because you've got used to it now, you've been driving for three days, you've got that different perspective. You know exactly what to do. 
Yeah, and you get you relax. You relax a little, quite a bit. That is a beautiful analogy. Boy, you talk about ending with a bang. That, 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 that is would a, be mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That we see from a different, um, different perspective. Mm-hmm.